Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Jeremy Nathan Tisser for Battlewake, a VR pirate combat game with a story mode and multiplayer. It was just released not too long ago. Jeremy also scored Raw Data, which is a VR sci-fi action game from uh, 2016. So one of those early uh, VR hits, actually, that was a hugely popular game, Raw Data was. Anyway, we talked about both Battlewake and Raw Data. Battlewake is a essentially just a pirate game. You're controlling a pirate ship in virtual reality, sitting or standing. It's got a 20-chapter story mode, but it really shines in the multiplayer, kind of free-for-all. Everyone just attack each other on pirate ships, um, blasting cannons off both sides, mortars off the back. Uh, you can release the Kraken. You can summon giant maelstroms. And uh, the music was supposed to reflect the excitement and adventure of all that. What's the music like? Uh, the music, that was, um, that was a bit different than Raw Data. That one is a lot more... We, we wanted to avoid going traditional pirate, but we still wanted swashbuckle. Yeah. We wanted something a little more exciting and a little more adventurous. So we went with pirate metal, <laughs> basically. <laughs> we have a big orchestra. We've got... Uh, metal guitars. I bought myself a nine-string guitar uh, and a PV Invective half stack for this for the game. That's hilarious. <laughs> it, uh, it was a little overboard, but <laughs> is that the guitar in that picture? I'm just now seeing that there's like a million strings on that guitar. Yeah, it's nine strings. So you got your basic six-string guitar, and mm -hmm. then it just goes down yep. um, all the way to a bass D. Yeah, there's a jazz guitarist, Charlie Hunter, who plays, a, I think, an eight-string guitar, but he's uh, really good at doing the bass with his... I mean, it's, it sounds like he has a bass in his band, but he's just playing his eight-string guitar, so that ninth goes down one more then. Yeah, it, yes. Yes, it does. That's crazy. <laughs> it's That's really crazy. silly how low it gets. Um, <laughs> it blew out... I didn't blow out my speakers, but it came close. There was quite a bit of crackling in it. Um, so we ended up having to do some fixes in the mix and everything just because it was so low and my <laughs> guitar amp wasn't designed to handle that. <laughs> or maybe it was, I don't know. Um, yeah, it, no, it was a lot of fun. We had inspirations from cultures all over the world. We had a, a Mongolian metal band that we listened to a lot. We, had, we went and tried to research um, Haitian and Papua New Guinean cultures. Um, we researched African percussion. We kind of touched on all the elements around the world, which is something that I like to do with these types of games and see what we can incorporate to give, you know, our pirate game us a little bit more of a unique touch. We didn't want to just go Pirates of the Caribbean and we didn't want to just do Black Sails. Those are those two are already a thing. So we thought yeah. we would start with percussion and really just create some big, heavy percussive grooves and loops. So I pre-recorded with a couple of friends of mine, just a ton of percussion grooves. And then we layered them and then we looped them and layered them again. And then we added more instruments to them. And we did that all live. We spent like eight hours in a studio, just recording all of that. Um, everything from taikos to talking drums, shakers. Um, we even, we, we almost messed around with tabla a little bit, but it was a little too much at that point. <laughs> uh, yeah, Tabla is really complex, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, we tried to touch on all the elements around the world to give a, a really unique 
planetary feel, essentially, where each environment in the game felt like its own corner of the Earth, but while still keeping it cohesive with a theme, with recurring instruments, with recurring melodies. Uh, So that's how we ended up with the score. (laughs) Nice. Um, Talk to me about uh, some of the areas then more specifically and, uh, you know, instruments that you used for them. For the Inner Earth section, we kind of, we we really wanted to dive into the metal side of things. You know, I'm a big fan of Mick Gordon's Doom score, which was part of the reason I bought a nine-string guitar. Um, (laughs) It was the first time I'd heard a nine-string guitar that actually made sense. And it really inspired me to go with something deep and dark. um, What made sense to you about it? I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm curious uh, to hear more about that. It almost feels hellish, you know what I mean? Like how low and deep and gritty it gets. It's not something you'd use for ice, you know, for something cold feeling. It's something that feels just evil and gritty and dark. And so I figured dark caverns with fiery lava and explosive volcanoes and meteors crashing down. That to me really just felt like the place for a nine string guitar to shine and to take the melodies and just play them low and, and I drew on all my old inspirations from like bands like Meshuggah and yeah. Killswitch Engage and you know the bands I grew up listening to. Um, and I took it as a time to really just headbang and do something heavy, but still keep the pirate theme going. And, and I hope that came through. <laughs> I started playing drums when I was nine years old, uh, and that was after my parents realized that I refused to sit down and practice scales on a piano. They had started me when I was four on piano, and I tried it for about four years before we all kind of gave up on that. And I was like banging away on everything I could find, using pencils to tap around. And eventually I just moved on to drum kit. And then when I was 14 in high school, uh, freshman year, I was asked to join this band for the my high school's first annual Battle of the Bands. Uh, long story short, we ended up winning. We formed a band out of it, and then we started playing the whiskey. We started playing the Knitting Factory, which is no longer around. Mm-hmm. Um, all these things. And then on my way to college, uh, I went to Cal State Northridge for undergrad, and I started in the music business program, and they had recommended that I go get an internship. And see what the record industry was about. That's what I wanted to do at the time, was either play drums on rock albums or become an A&R rep for record labels. Um, (laughs) This was 2005. So I got an internship at Hopeless Records, where I started uh, learning really about the A&R world, and Avenged Sevenfold had just moved up to Warner Brothers Records, and they were about to put out their City of Evil album. So... Hopeless was looking for metal, a new metal album, a metal band to fill those shoes, and they came to me. I was, at the time, booking tons of local shows. I booked bands from Metal Blade Records, Prosthetic Records. I booked Suicide Silence, Through the Eyes of the Dead, um, Embrace the End, Winds of Plague. I was booking all these shows around town wow. at the time. And I was also in my own metal band, uh, who will remain, remain nameless because it's 
not a good band name. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but we were um you know, we were playing shows all over the place, packing 400 kids in little venues around the San Fernando Valley and the the Conejo Valley and Vent, that's Ventura County in Los Angeles. And that's kind of where everything got started, you know, and then in college I joined another metal band and you know, eventually I found film scoring from all of that. And mm. the teacher had liked some of the metal tracks I was writing that was like incorporating various styles and just doing weird things with it. And I learned from there, I started learning orchestration and that took me all the way to, to uh, game scoring. Okay. So how did you get connected? Because aren't the, these games are from the same developer? Yes. So how so did I you got, get hooked up yeah. with them? Yeah. Yeah. After CSUN, um, Towards the end, I started hearing about the the USC, University of Southern California's Scoring for Motion Pictures and Television program. And it was taught by Bruce Broughton and Christopher Young. And, you know, all these heavy legends were like, were teaching uh, composition and orchestration. And I knew coming out of Northridge, you know, I wanted to do the next step. I didn't want to just intern and then work my way up. Um, I wanted a different path. And so I... I applied, got in, and at USC I met uh, these guys, James Iliff, Nathan Burba, Palmer Lucky, Alex Silkin. I met everyone there. Um, Palmer was building headsets in the Mixed Reality Lab. Nathan was getting ready to start his uh, master's thesis pro- project, which was part of the Advanced Games program. And James, I had worked on my first VR game with when he was the level designer and I was doing the music. And James and I became super close, uh, and he brought me in to meet Nate when Nate started Project Holodeck. And then Project Holodeck later became Servios, and they did what they made raw data, and that's how that came about. should talk about raw data because uh, that was a pretty successful VR game and the music is quite different than what you ended up doing for Battlewake so well, we just spent quite a bit of time talking about kind of your history in metal but this and this is reflected in in that in kind of fun electronic ways but uh, talk to me about the score for raw data raw data was great that was like my dream coming true score James was basically like all right we want to look at Terminator Star Trek Total Recall Alien. We want to look at every sci-fi movie we've ever loved growing up that we all watched as kids. And we want a game that makes us feel like we're playing in that world. And we want the music to be on the same level as those as those movies. And I just looked at him and go, okay, James Horner, Jerry Goldsmith, John Williams, David Arnold from Independence Day. You know, this is what you want. That's, that's not a tall order. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we just listened to film music, we watched movies, we talked about scores, we talked about what's the feeling we get every time we hear the the percussion groove from Terminator, you know, dun 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 dun, 
You know, how does that make us feel whenever we hear that and we see the Terminator? That's like the vibe we wanted to start getting in raw data. So we went there. There's one track, uh, this Nocturne in C minor, I want to ask you about. I gotta. In, in the game, there's a series of Chopin piano nocturnes, and those were used uh, in your training sessions. We wanted something to contrast all this crazy science fiction action music, so James had found these piano nocturnes from Chopin that maybe two of them are standard repertoire and the others are ones that even professional pianists haven't really practiced that often because they're really, really tough. Yeah. And but they're beautiful. And so we wanted that. So then there was this one um, scene where you start learning the backstory of the game. This is like about maybe halfway through the game. They explain the major backstory where everything fell apart and why um, Eden Corp was invented in the first place. And you start to learn and it then it tells you how everything went wrong. And you need, and why we're doing what we're doing, why the hacking is important, and all this stuff. Anyways, you learn this whole thing. So I wrote this piano piece that was supposed to feel like one of the nocturnes, but it was a, an original one based off the main theme to accompany this story. So it had this melancholy vibe to it, and then it gets to this little darkness section in the middle where it starts really talking about the end of humanity, and then it comes back to a hopeful but somber ending. appreciated the authenticity of the opening since you know a nocturne tends to start with some kind of interval of a sixth and I was just like <laughs> legit <laughs> I just thought that was great <laughs> thank you yeah 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 so well done <laughs> thank you um, I appreciate it and and I mean in that way you're you know you're emulating Chopin and uh you know really nice it's a really lovely piece but you know in the, in the rest of the score you you were I guess you explained kind of an amalgamation of a, a number of really famous sci-fi scores, but still, it's definitely you know your voice. So, um, talk to yeah, talk to me about some of the uh, choices that you made in terms of um, just instrumentation and and stuff. Yes, um, again, they knew they wanted Tycho's. They knew they wanted heart pounding, and they knew they wanted excitement. And even when the music gets ambient and dark, they never wanted you to feel safe. Um, and we knew that the original discussion was uh, synth because 80s Terminator synth, you know, that's the way to go. So, and so we did that for the original, the early access um, Steam release that we first had where it was like a 10 minute demo. And then when the game went viral and got big and we were like, okay, we've got something here. Then we decided to really look at 
everything. And we looked at Predator, Alien, Total Recall. We said, what do people like from this? And what is it about the scores that make us feel good? And so we went, we wanted nostalgia. So we knew it had to be orchestra and choir. Um, and we could add synth to it, but we knew we had to expand beyond that um, to really make that that 80s nostalgic vibe come back. You know, the peop- you remember the one pulse from Terminator, but <laughs> you listen to Star Wars or Star Trek the motion picture and you know what's coming. <laughs> so we wanted something that really reflected that. And that's how we came to it. The guitar comes in every so often just as another color to give something unique. But the biggest instrument that we got to really give an original sound was we went, uh, we hired Craig Huxley. Um, Craig Huxley plays the famous blaster beam on Star Trek, the motion picture. Um, it's the sound he uses for the Klingons. And yeah, so we were like, oh man, let's go. You want, you want that nostalgic eighties, that's blaster beam. We need it. So I got the guy and his instrument from Star Trek, the motion picture And we recorded this 17-foot-long piece of metal with piano wire running across it. And that's that really low that you hear throughout the raw data score. So then uh, how much time between Raw Data and Battle Wake? I think I had about six months okay. <laughs> between that's, the two. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I spent nearly two years on Battle Wake. I think this December will be two years since I started. How much music did you write for Battle Wake? There's not as much as Raw Data. There's probably about 40, 45 minutes of music or so. Um, okay. But the difference between Raw Data and Battlewick was with Raw Data, we went a little bit more linear. Um, stereo track deliveries, we had uh, ambient, then medium, low intensity, and then high intensity, and everything could kind of crossfade in between. And with Battlewake, uh, we wanted something a little bit more interactive. So I wrote a series of six to eight minute su- action suites. So they, they start quiet, they get big, they, you know, lots of peaks and valleys in the music. And then we took these eight minute long tracks and we cut them up into little bits and then we stemmed them out in so they could have multiple layers and things could, you, you could basically turn a six minute track into two hours of music. Wow. Um, yeah. So we wanted to make sure that the game was interactive enough that the, the music could adapt to the player's decisions. kind of explain the difference between the story mode music and the and the battle music but I am curious you know both of these games being VR games did that come into account with the kind of music you wrote at all or the way you wrote the music I think so um you, you listen to a lot of film music and it's always dictated by the picture right you're you're locked to time code you have to pay attention to what sound effect is going to happen at which moment and you have to be conscious of that. You have to stay away from the dialogue. Um, 
and then when you're scoring traditional games, you, you have a little bit more flexibility because you're not locked to time code or dialogue unless you're scoring a cutscene. Mm-hmm. But with VR, you know, VR is hard with music because most people don't remember it yet. And I say that because, not because the music is bad or anything, but because when you, when you put on a headset for the first time, you're so immersed into something new and different. It's, it's awe-inspiring, it's captivating, and the music should help to draw you into that. But the first thing you remember are the visuals, the experience, and the feeling you felt. So for me, I use that feeling when I put on a headset of a new game. How does that make me feel? And what's the excitement level that I want to put into the music? Um, So I think I get inspired a little bit differently with VR games than I would with a mobile game or a traditional game or a film um, because it's all about the feeling. It's all about the fun. playing either of them or have you played them or how does that work for you? Are you a big gamer? So I'm not a big gamer and it's mostly just due to time restrictions. Um, Over the, you know, over the years I was always so invested in the bands that I was in and then I was invested in my schooling and then it was all just about write music, write as much music as I can and just keep writing music and meeting as many people as I could and just talking to everyone and just working and now I'm married with a <laughs> with a kid and a, we have <laughs> a house and so there's just not a lot of time for playing games unfortunately yeah um however when it comes to you know writing the music for one of these games the first thing I do is put on the headset and play what play what they have you know and sometimes I'll be in there for 20 minutes but usually with Battle Wake I would be playing and I take the headset off and about an hour had gone by soundtrack is coming out um be on the lookout within the i I don't know the timeline exactly i know within the next few weeks there's probably going to be another announcement about it note for note music is putting it out um the the owners of note for note music i just want to say a little bit about them brian davis and peter hackman these two are are legends brian is um worked at verez sarabon for many years and verez is responsible for the air force one soundtrack i think um, Rudy, they worked with Jerry Goldsmith for many, many years and put out all his soundtracks. Um, if you look up Ferez and all their releases, so Brian knows what he's doing and, and he's just an amazing guy. And Peter, um, from Note for Note Music is the co-owner. He worked at Ferez for about five years or so. Um, he's also now my manager and these two are just amazing human beings and the soundtrack is going to be released Uh, I believe CD and digital, and I don't know if I can say anything else that it's coming out on, but you'll hear about it soon. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Wonderful, Jeremy. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed getting to know you and hearing your music, so thanks for coming on the show. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thanks for listening to episode 118 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Jeremy Nathan Tisser and see a playlist at patreon.com slash level. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Well, little old me. Hi. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media, Inc.